to see their brain signal spike at the times when we're asking for movement versus being at rest. And it wasn't randomized. It was on cue. It wasn't something, you know, environmental. It was their dad. Their dad, yes, he is still in there, even if he's not able to physically, you know, manifest that that response, his brain is. And that was an incredible moment. And I realized, you know, for me, I was like, oh, I love this research. You know, this isn't something that I I get to do often, whether it's with people who are able-bodied to test out the different designs or folks that are farther along. And it's those moments where I realized how important the technology is. like our show and want to learn more, please visit our website at peakwellnesshealth.com, which is linked in the show notes below, where you can gain access to a very simple 10-day body reset program that teaches you about diet, sleep, meditation, exercise, and guides you on how to lower blood sugar, lower blood pressure, lower body fat, and improve your biomarkers all in just 10 days. Additionally, you can find a body optimization program, which teaches you how to lose fat and build muscle. You can also find a link to schedule a one-on-one consultation with me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Peak Health with Dr. Gupta. This show is for those who want to optimize their health and maximize their genetic potential. Today, we're going to talk about the fascinating world of the machine-brain interface, what, where we are now, and what the future holds. The practice of functional medicine tackles the root cause of disease so you can maximize your body's natural function. What if your function is limited by an injury, illness, or other developmental issue. Functional medicine and traditional practices can only take you so far, but machines can take you to a place that was only thought of as science fiction just a few decades ago. Also consider the possibility of a machine understanding your emotions so that your podcast, movie, or book recommendations are all ones that you absolutely love. These developments may not be too far in the future, and to unfold this topic, We are honored to have Dr. Adrian Randolph joining us. Dr. Randolph is a tenured full professor of information systems and incoming interim associate dean for community and faculty affairs at Kennesaw State University in the Michael J. Coles College of Business. She's also the founder and executive director of the Brain Lab, an innovative research-based enterprise that combines cognitive neuroscience tools with cutting-edge applications and information systems. Welcome, Adrian. Thank you. We're really happy to have you here. And before we start, I just want to tell our listeners how we met, because I think it was a really great experience meeting you just in this random way. So we, we were both very honored and lucky to get this Distinguished Alumni Award from Fairfax County. And we ended up meeting and realizing that we went to the same high school. And I think we discovered that I saw you Freshman year as a, as in the dance team, you're in the dance team, freshman year, is that right? And that's where, that's where I, cause I, I was like, oh, you look familiar. And I was a senior, you were a freshman, you're on the dance team and you were probably dancing at all, all sporting events. And, and that's how, that's how we knew each other from way back then. Well, it's nice that my dancing made an impression. I think <laughs> I, all I knew how to do was smile. I couldn't make other faces. So <laughs> right. well, that was good enough. But now you've you've achieved so much, and it's it's wonderful having you on this podcast. So maybe we can start by you just telling us about yourself, how you got to the place where you are currently. Oh, I love that, Ravi. So 
We did meet having graduated from a magnet school based on science and technology. Yes. And that is really where it started. So for me, it was combining a love of art with technology. So I went into engineering at the University of Virginia, another trail that we share as well. Yes. And discovering that there was an aspect called human-computer interaction where I was able to combine those loves. So understanding the interface and why someone loved or hated something, the full experience, and that I really enjoy people. <laughs> so I say that I'm a geek with good social skills and being able to say this is what it can do, the technology has capacity for, and how we can bring that to light for someone for a better experience. And fast forward, when I was looking at PhD programs, met my doctoral advisor, Melody Moore-Jackson at Georgia State, who was doing brain-computer interfaces. And I had never heard of this, but it was her particular slant was the interface design, as she had been one of the original members of an implant team. So directly implanting electrodes to the brain for individuals to control devices with their mind, literally. And just, we clicked. And so it's been an exciting pathway to work in that space and understand this element of control using our minds and then being able to expand to understand how we can further use that same technology to help us understand more about things that we can't readily communicate, things that are happening subconsciously for ourselves. Yeah, that's wonderful. It's amazing where you've gone and and where you are at this point. So maybe you can tell us now about what you're doing currently in the Brain Lab, the types of projects you're working on, and describe those in some detail. Oh, thank you. Thank you for asking and inviting me on. Absolutely. So the Brain Lab started with helping people who are living locked into their bodies. And locked in meaning that they're completely paralyzed and unable to speak, but their brains are fully intact. So You can imagine, as we're talking here, not having that outward connection to be able to vocalize your thoughts unless you have something to tap into those inner thoughts. And that's where a computer comes into play, where we can place sensors on your head directly. So we say that's non-invasive recording, or we can implant electrodes. And quite unfortunately, I am not equipped to drill open heads and implant electrodes, so I have to stick with parting the hair or... Yeah, just placing sensors on with gel or paste onto the surface of the of your head to read those brain waves. But anything that has a computer chip, we're able to route those brain waves and just different types of thoughts to be able to control a device for communication or environmental control. So that's amazing. So these these this population of subjects that you had uh, were ones of locked in syndrome after an injury or stroke or how, how did how did they develop this market? It ranges so it could be from an impairment due to like ALS otherwise known as Lou Gehrig's disease which by the way we've come to learn maybe a misnomer where Lou Gehrig the baseball player may have been hit so many times that he had symptoms that were very similar uh, to this phenomenon of ALS where you're losing the ability for voluntary control to the point where you're not able to move your eyes reliably and go on a ventilator. So there's a a period, it's a short period where it progresses and then someone passes away. And during that period, though, we want to be able to still help them 
speak to their loved ones, get the quality of care that they want, and not be just waiting for someone to ask them, but have more proactive control. It could also be due to stroke. So there are some severe forms of stroke where rehabilitation is not going to get more direct results. And in the meantime, being able to have someone have that ability to still communicate and control their environment is key. We've also worked with non-spastic forms of cerebral palsy. Really, if you can characterize someone with, I'll put it in air quotes, quote unquote, normal brain function, because what is really normal, then we are able to help harness that ability for control. Interesting. So do you actively participate in those studies currently? Yes. So we'll have folks that are out in the community that will go out and visit. Usually they're either in a long-term care facility or at home. Most recently it's been in at-home visits where we will take a big suitcase of technology, including monitors that we're setting up in someone's environment to assess their their ability to control and our ability to classify their brainwave right. for direct control. Can you give me an example of a patient that that you see and, and what kind of progress you've made in helping them get out of this place of being locked in? Well, one of my favorite stories to share is about bringing in a bag of hope. So this, this suitcase that's full of a laptop, the electrode caps, the electrodes that we're placing on the head to record and the monitor. I mean, that's that's the hardware components. But realizing we enter environments where folks may not be used to having a team believe that their loved one is in there. Right. And so they may be fighting, advocating for this person in spaces and places where they're tired to the point where they they may be lagging in their own belief. So a few years ago, we actually went out west and a family just needed help with some new technology that they had and they didn't know how to use it. And I said, well, I haven't worked directly with this system, but it's transferable as far as the arrays of the electrodes and placement. So set it all up, went through a couple of paradigms of saying, okay, think of opening and closing your hands to the, to the participant. Yeah. Now think of just being at rest. And to see their brain signal spike at the times okay. when we're asking for movement right. versus being at rest. And it wasn't randomized. It was on cue. <laughs> right. So it wasn't something, you know, environmental. It was their dad. Their dad, yes, he is still in there, even wow. if he's not able to physically, you know, manifest that that response his brain is. And that was an incredible moment. And I realized, you know, for me, I was like, oh, I love this research. You know, this isn't something that I I get to do often, whether it's with people who are able-bodied to test out the different designs or folks that are farther along. And it's those moments where I realized how important the technology is. Wow. And it's not yeah. just to the, the participant. Oh, I could, I could only imagine how how much hope it would bring the the family involved, but also to the patients. I mean, How devastating must that be to be in a position where you clearly have full mental capacity, but you 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 cannot do anything about it and you can't even express the fact that you are in this position. So what you're doing is phenomenal because you're giving everyone hope. And it sounds like from what you're saying, the you're, you know, gaining traction, 
Can you describe where you are currently with that technology and where you see it going? Sure. Well, one of the more recent projects has been with a computer science master's student, and we're looking at harnessing advances in Internet of Things, so IoT devices, sensor-based technologies, and machine learning to better take these brain signals, which we call electroencephalograms or EEG, and be able to more quickly process and filter out these signals for control. So there's so many different parts of it. It's the brain waves so that we can have more specified responses so the person can tell us exactly what they desire. We overlay a communication system that might be based on context, who you're talking to, what most people want to express and help kind of narrow down the space for them to be able to select what they want. But it's also you are in a long-term care situation and often waiting for someone to check on you. Right. Well, in this case, the sensor sensors can be checking constantly. So if your feeding tube has come out, we've seen this scenario before, you don't have to lay in your fluid waiting for someone to come make their rounds hours later, but right. you can have that sensor send a signal to the care provider and exactly what that is to check on. And, so, and, and that technology is there currently. It is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so somebody in this situation that's unable to communicate could actually send a signal by just thinking about it, and it would it would generate through this through the EEG or the EEG electrodes rather would pick up the signal, send it to some kind of device, and it would it would the nurse would get a message that this is happening. So we can do that, but I'll tell you, Ravi, that that scenario is more mentally taxing for someone uh-huh. to have something on that's constantly pulling their thoughts. Instead of describing where we can marry that technology with other sensors to say this sensor for temperature and hot and wet and dry can be a constant monitoring. And that will send a trigger to then activate brain-computer interface where they can more specifically say, this is where I'm bothered. Okay. Okay. So the the sensor would pick it up, then it would the interface would check with the patient. The patient could somehow communicate what is happening, and then this information would be sent to their caregiver. Yes. And and you're saying this is technology that's here right now. It is. Wow, that's amazing. Now, what what can you see? What's happen? What do we have in the future? I mean, do we, do you see a future where someone could wear this device and actually be able to communicate? like through a computer, almost like we're communicating right now, talking and right. you know, text maybe. Right, I think the future is a more seamless integration where right now we talk about it as, as a Midas touch problem, like how do you turn it on or off? So how do you start using your brain for communicating when you want to versus just idling and, you know, when we're, for example, browsing on the internet, we're not necessarily right. trying to do something. And so we don't want like a false signal being sent to a care provider in that scenario. Right. I think what we're seeing down the line are advances with sensor technology, with understanding the patterns of our brain waves, and something that's just more comfortable to wear long term so that we can have these sensors on, more integrated, perhaps in a more aesthetically pleasing way that everyone around, you know, isn't wondering what's that that you're wearing, because that's also, that's a concern for, for most people. We take a lot for granted if someone has a disability, what they want to give up in their appearance. And yes. so that's 
part of the advancements as well. Excellent. And, and I, you know, as you're describing the scenario, I've encountered this many times in the hospital where I see these patients that are unable to communicate. They're in, you know, semi-comatose state. They may be locked in. And I can, I can see how this device would be a huge benefit to them. I mean, there's, there's no question that would, that would be life transformational for them and their, their caregivers and their loved ones. I mean, it's amazing. There are teams that are also working on the states that you just described, semi-comatose, comatose, to help ascertain if active brain function is still present for the person. So there's a team out in Austria, for example, Gugertech is the technology group that's looking at those sorts of scenarios. So it's neat to see just the breadth of work that's happening in this brain-computer interface space. Now, do you see a situation in the near future where the 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 person that's wearing this device would be able to control a robotic arm, something where they could have like almost a artificial limb where they could have the ability to move items around and, and have some kind of semblance of a reasonable existence. So I'll tell you over the last 20 years, that's been something actively worked on, whether it's, for example, a team at Brown who's doing more with implanted electrodes for prosthetic control or a team that was at Duke for a full suit. You may recall the was it the World Cup of soccer that the initial kickoff oh, yes. uh, yeah. was done with the, the suit. And so that was all yeah. part of the neuroprosthetic work that's happening and being able to integrate brainwave control and prosthetics. Are you struggling with reaching your health goals? Do you feel like you need extra help to achieve your desired level of wellness? Well, we're here to tell you that you're not alone. Our website at peakwellnesshealth.com, which is linked in the show notes below, offers a variety of resources to help you on your journey towards optimal health. One of the most popular resources is the 10-Day Body Reset Course, which is designed to teach you about diet, sleep, meditation, exercise, and how to lower your blood sugar, blood pressure, body fat, and improve your biomarkers all in just 10 days. Our program is comprehensive yet easy to follow, and we've seen amazing results for those who have completed it. But that's not all. We offer a body optimization course, which teaches you how to lose fat and build muscle. Our program is tailored towards your individual needs and goals so that you can be sure that you're getting the most effective guidance. And if you need even more personalized support, we offer one-on-one consultations. During these sessions, we'll work with you to create a personalized plan that takes into account your unique circumstances, preferences, and goals. Visit peakwellnesshealth.com today and take the first step towards achieving your health goals. When when would that be more commonplace, you think? So that, I think, takes more infusion of funding. So as we see, for example, Neuralink coming on with Elon Musk, one on one side you go, hmm, from a brain-computer interface standpoint, the stuff that's been done there has been done for a while as far as implanting electrodes and pinpointing areas of control. But to be able to do so with such repetition and refinement, that's how we get quicker advancements in the technology and the understanding. So I think it's going to take more of those sorts of leaps and whether that can happen through some of the federal funding, possibly, but it's really those those big infusions of of capital. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, what Neuralink is doing is is also just amazing. I mean, I think I think there's, as you mentioned, there's so much more money and interest in the space now that technology is improving and increasing exponentially. 
um, with artificial intelligence coming online. I mean, it, you know, people give a timeline for certain things happening, but I, I feel like in a lot of ways we're, we're achieving those results earlier and earlier than, than we're projecting. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about when I was a kid, you know, with a com basic computer, and this was, I'd like to think not too long ago, but it, most people probably think it's <laughs> quite some time ago. But um, we had nothing compared to what we have now. I mean, it, just, it wasn't, we couldn't even imagine some of the things that we're experiencing right now. Um, right. I have to be careful with examples in class for, especially the undergrads that are looking out at me. I mean, they were born in the 90s. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. So, you know, so, 2000s, right? That's right. Yeah. See, clearly I'm frozen. Is <laughs> that <laughs> right? Yeah. And so they don't know anything about you know, never having, you know, having to consciously access the internet. <laughs> right. Right. It's just Different always time. present. All right. So you, so we talked, spoke about control of devices and then also it's, it, we, we spoke about this part of the podcast. There's also the assessment part, right? Like um, these devices being able to assess your emotions or your cognitive state and being able to respond in, in such a way that could you know, change how we interact. So can you, can you describe that and what that is exactly? So it's the same recording technology that we use for control that we can use to help you when you don't realize that you're locked in so that you may be having emotional responses or overloaded thinking, so cognitive load that is happening below the surface and it's governing your actions, but we want to help raise it to a conscious level for you to be able to address it. Uh, so it could be you're in a meeting, you're in class, and you're listening, trying to learn, and you're just completely overwhelmed. If you are so overloaded, you're not learning anymore. We want to hit a sweet spot of being able to be in tune, alert, not asleep, because we can see all of that also in your brain. Yeah. In terms of bursts that happen if you're just drowsy. Right. And also just Engage to the point you're not frozen and you're able to take in this new knowledge. We have lots of even DIY folks, by the way, do it yourself on stimulation of the brain and trying to set up states where you are more apt to remember content. So we do that non-pharmaceutically. We can do that through brain training and different types of mental games or brain computer interface based games to train yourself. And we would achieve focused results that are similar to taking drugs, for example, that might be prescribed for ADD or ADHD. Oh, interesting. Uh, similarly, if you stop training, yeah, a similar effect as if you were to stop taking the pharmaceutical input okay. as well. So it's sort uh, of like a cognitive, so cognitive behavioral training using these In these that devices. case, it is. But you have to be aware of it, right? To right. know what you're responding to. So we can have these sensors and they are everyday sensors now as far as wearables that might be embedded in a watch to get arousal levels. And that can just be a cue. Something different is happening for you. With that arousal response, we're not able to see if it's positive or negative. So then we have to look at what else was happening. But if I just say to you, Ravi, you know, I had this spike once you got off the phone call it can make you pause and think, who was I just talking to? What was that about? 
and start to more consciously process. And we can overlay that with other memoing, journaling, you know, mental biofeedback devices and apps to then say, how can I change that situation? Oh, interesting. Okay. So, so I, I can imagine a situation where you're talking to your mother-in-law, you know, and you have, you have a wearable with that. I said, I'm sure it wouldn't be your mother-in-law. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, right. I, a mother-in-law is always a good example because everybody feels the same about their mother-in-laws. I, we don't, we don't, but, but other people do. So you're, you're wearing this device and so you're wearing a wearable and then it monitors your heart rate, you know, maybe right. you know, your respiratory rate, you know, maybe, maybe other measurements that, that it's looking at. And then also you have this brain spike. So you can, you monitor all that together along with the brain spike that may be telling you more detailed information about your thoughts, like at that time, is that what that spike tells you? Yep. Okay. And so I have a, a favorite word is triangulation, where we're able to get those different input, inputs of data to help reveal the true picture. Okay. So we're talking about, right, heart rate response, sweatiness factor, think meet the parents or that lie detector kind of sensor and brain waves. We can see what is your emotional response. So for example, within the brain, there's a notion of hemispheric differences. That just means right versus left side of your brain and which area appears to be more activated during that time. If we in general have the left part of our brains being more stimulated, it's something that you're having a positive reaction to. So my way to remember that is left-like. And then so vice versa, if the right side is more activated, it tends to be a more negative approach. So we overlay that to the intensity of your response from those arousal levels. And what was it? So again, call log and see, oh, that was a call from mother-in-law and having trouble with her ring or need some tech support, having a little bit of stress. I thought I was handling it fine, but it turns out that really stresses me out. So how would we then change that situation? How can you help filter that experience so that we can bring the stress levels down? Okay. Yeah, you know, that's, that's very interesting because I'm thinking about me, you know, me personally, and there's a lot of various things I'm doing on a daily basis. And I know at times that I'm stressed out, but I don't really know what it was that caused it. I'm like, you know, I, I was doing... X, Y, and Z. And, you know, sometimes even your diet, right? It's like the food you eat. It is, it can cause a stressful response. It leads to cortisol secretion and, you know, that hormonal cascade of stress. You may feel good maybe eating it, but you're, there's a stress response that your body goes through. But there's so many different things in during the course of the day. And you're not really sure what is the one thing, but with this device, you can really pinpoint like, Hey, look, this was the point where you really had this sharp spike on the right side of your brain. And that's where, you know, the stress really came from. So you got to work on that. So that's basically what, what this is telling you. Yes. I mean, so that's the advancements that we're going to see with the sensors being less obvious to folks, more comfortable to wear or integrated in our lifestyle, integrated into the technology that we're already using. So the phone that you're already taking around with you, it may not be the phone anymore, right? That's that's pretty bulky if you think about it. It's going to sh- continue to shrink down. It may be embedded as far as a, a small sensor that we are literally wearing within our bodies. And the waves of acceptance for this sort of em- embodied technology. 
we're going to then be able to get more personalized recommendations, more personalized experiences, whether that be for our extreme life logging and things that we can learn from our going through our days and how to help ourselves. But it could also be through the supports that are put in place, whether it's healthcare diagnoses, support for mental health, things that can be monitored and then recommended to us. That's interesting. I can, I can see this being used in the commercial space too. Like when you're watching a movie, for example, and you're getting all the data that's being shared with this provider. And then they're like, okay, well, they, these, you know, this person really enjoyed this particular type of movie. These are our recommendations for them. And, you know, it's all the movies that you love, that type of thing. Absolutely. And we can filter out the, the parts of us that perform for others. So if I'm in a collective space and so you go, oh, do you want my podcast? Oh, I love your podcast. Absolutely. And maybe I just like your podcast. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but you recommended it at a certain frequency versus other content for me personally. And that's the level of personalization that this can also afford. And it's come under different subfield terms like neuromarketing or decision neuroscience. I feel like you can put neuro in front of pretty much anything and it's right. informing the field through lessons in neuroscience. And this could be dangerous, obviously, too. I mean, like, you know, th this data gets out there. And we, we see this at Facebook a lot, right? This targeting, targeted marketing and using it to the advantage of, uh, you know, some other party's gain. Um, I could see this being incredibly dangerous information to get out there because it's so personalized that somebody could you know, do something uh, to their, whatever their desire is. Like, how, how do you, how do you protect that? How do you protect data? How do you, how, how does that happen? That's a great point And one that I hope that most of your listeners will heed and take away is that there's so much embedded in this personalized biometric data. This is not just your, this is not your social security number or, you know, your I, your name and where you live, which seem to be more obvious to us about personalized information. But what's encoded in your brain waves, your EEG, that's your physical and mental health. That is a personalized waveform to us. And it really just takes a smart enough computer that's strong enough to process the data to be able to reverse engineer and say, oh, that's Adrienne. <laughs> And yeah. then what was she thinking when that stream of data was created? Let's recreate that. Oh, I'm going to hack all her systems if that's what she's using yeah. uh, for accessing as a, as a true personalized, secure way to protect her other data. Oh, wow. Oh, that, that, that's, that's crazy. Because, you know, with, with AI technology, you know, chat GPT, this deep fake technology, and, um, you know, now with this information coming out there, someone can truly make a replica of somebody online and, and create mannerisms, words, everything to look like that person and, mm -hmm. and be able to get, get their identity. So we're getting there. I think yeah. that same technology is going to afford some amazing advancements as, in, uh, as we just talked about for a truly personalized experience. However, we have to be conscientious about right. protecting that data as well. Yeah, there's always the yin and yang to, to exactly. anything new, right? 
I mean, I see this as extremely exciting. I mean, the, the future holds so much, so much benefit um, in using this type of technology. So let me let me ask you a final question in terms of what the Lister can can take away from from this, from the work you do. Maybe even some recommendations on devices that are already out there that they could purchase now and, and take advantage of. So we talked about awareness for just protecting data so that those are conversations that we're all able to have as the technologies advance. But more in terms of our own everyday lives and considering that as we age, we may have a disability that creeps in to think about the hope that we can hold for ourselves. There is a use it or lose it phenomenon. So if you are not able to physically move the area of your brain that's responsible for thinking about moving, watching movement, or actually moving, it's all the same area. It's all the same brain signal. So if you continue to exercise that mentally, then you can regain that ability. It may route in a different way. It may not be readily apparent at first, but the resilience and keeping at it, then that effect of neuroplasticity is able to come about for many individuals. So technology can help keep pace with that. And there are devices and applications, for example, a group based in Atlanta called Modus Nova, where there is at-home rehabilitation that can take place. And you can kind of work out, lift weights with sensors attached to you where you may not see the physical manifestation of that at first, but there is a signal being generated and it's being routed to that interface to kind of give you some encouragement and feedback about, oh, just keep going. You're almost, you know, almost lifting the weight. And then eventually being able to see that outward manifestation for yourself. Oh, excellent. Okay. So you're, you're, what you're saying is, you know, if you are in a position where you may be giving up hope or you feel like you won't regain function, the, your, your neurons are constantly making new connections. Um, and there's this, there's this phenomenon called neuroplasticity, uh, which basically means that your your neurons are you know are able to form new connections, to create new thoughts and ideas. And in fact, this is measurable not only by the electrical signals that you mentioned, but also MRI scans. You can see parts of the brain that actually increase in size because of these connections. So this that's an extremely extremely important point, which really can help the listener understand that, hey, look, you know, you can learn new things and you can teach an old dog new tricks, not calling us old dogs, but, or our listeners old dogs, but you can teach an old dog new tricks. You can constantly learn, constantly improve. You don't have to feel that you are in a position where you're stuck in a rut at all. You can always change and, and, and move out of it. So I, I love that message. Excellent. And then last Adrian, anything else, any devices that you know of, any anything else that share with the listeners that they could purchase now that may help with some of these things? So there's a lot of, there's several commercial level devices. So Emotive has varying levels of devices. Google Tech also has varying levels of devices that are more accessible financially for folks to purchase okay. uh, where they can just kind of play around and see what their brains are doing and they can play different games, different levels of control that they can manifest. You don't have to understand all of the algorithms behind it, but it's more about seeing the feedback mechanism. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Adrian, this was amazing. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. If someone 
is interested in contacting you or learning more about Brain Lab, how would they do that? So the easiest thing, you can send an email, brainlab at kennesaw.edu. And Kennesaw is K-E-N-N-E-S-A-W. Brain Lab, all one word. It'll come right to me. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you did, please make sure to hit the subscribe and the like button and leave a comment about what you'd like to see on our future episodes. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only, does not substitute for professional care, nor does it constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for medical care, please seek a qualified doctor or medical professional. For more information, or if you'd like to check out our programs, please visit our website, peakwellnesshealth.com. That's peakwellnesshealth.com.